longer, but it gave me the chance to express. You know, I, I love lingering. In case you can't tell, on Sunday mornings, I'm never in a hurry. I don't want to be in a hurry to sing about being set free from sin. I want to linger in that. I want to linger in unhurried prayer. I want to linger in the word that he might speak to us. I want to linger in your company and in his presence as the people of God. And so I'm never in a rush. And so it was a sweet experience. Another experience we had, the uh, there were three conferences going on at Ridgecrest this same week. One was ours, the Centrifuge Conference. One was a music minister's conference, and one was an exodus conference. And the exodus conference is for those coming out of gay and lesbian lifestyles. And so it was really funny. Uh, day one's theme is relating to the lost. But uh, I had a, a youth minister come up to me and said, Are you aware of the other conference that's going on here? And I said, The music minister conference? And he said, No, 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 the, the other one. And I said, yes, I'm aware. And he said, well, they're staying where we are. And I was like, well, they're staying where I am. And it was just interesting to me. He was not alone. It was the, there were several of them. And, and I thought, how crazy. Here we are meditating on how Christ died for his enemies to rescue all of us from wretched sin and how easily we forget that. And uh, so it provided an example. And I encouraged them we should be praying for these folks. I encourage them we should display Christ to these folks. If the church doesn't want to display Christ to the lost, friends, we may not be the church. So we want to follow Christ. So thank you for your prayers. I'll have the opportunity in a few weeks to go to the other Baptist Mecca, to Glorietta. So we'll make both treks this summer and pray for the Lord's provision. Today is our children's home offering. And if you didn't come prepared today to give to that, it's okay. You can give at any point. Uh, but we have a video that we want to show you uh, about the children's home. So let's watch this video now. He cries in the corner where no He's the kid with the story no one would believe. He prays every night, dear God, won't you please? Could you send someone here who will love me? Who will children's home since I was 12 and before I was 12 I was taking care of my three siblings. I wish that everybody can see how the support that's changed these children's lives such as me and my sisters and brother has just changed a lot and influenced our lives. They showed me you know how God is always there for me and that he'll never leave me or forsake me that he's really there just truly loves me and wants to embrace me and take care of me and help me walk whenever I can't walk some days or if I can't crawl then he'll pick me up and carry me through the day. 
noticed that the children's home shows love in uh, many different ways. I wish that there was a way that I can personally thank everybody that's given or ever donated to the children's home to help provide for this place. Because it's all going to benefit us. You know, you get cared for here, just like a regular family would. In Grace College, and my college parents are Rashiba and Mr. O'Neill. They're really, really nice people. I know they love me. To me, love means to like, care about somebody and want them to have a good life and everything. At the Baptist Children's Home, I know they love me. It makes me happy because somebody cares. I've been here five years and this is home. It's just been an amazing experience and I don't know where I'd be with it with not for the children's home. The children's home has shown me unconditional love. Thank you, Louisiana Baptist. continues through all generations. Thank you, Louisiana Baptists, for showing children and families what love really means. best things that uh, obviously we do as uh, Southern Baptists and particularly as Louisiana Baptists is we cooperate together and if you're not aware of the, the things we cooperate on is we send dollars from here to Alexandria. They go to Louisiana College, part of them. They go to the Children's Home. They go to the Baptist Message and the Baptist Foundation. Two of these I'm more excited about than the other two. I'll let you discern in your own which two and one of them I'm most excited about and that's the Children's Home. And uh, I would encourage you, though, don't ever recommend increasing percentages to the detriment of the others because that won't get you a good reception. But uh, I love the ministry that the Children's Home does. I think that they do incredible work. And year after year after year, we see life change. I hope that you will continue to pray for Dr. Hancock, who is heading that up. When I was in seminary at New Orleans, he was there with us and just has a heart for children and for Christ and to see children and Christ connected together. And so... I'm grateful for him. There are offering envelopes, and and your uh, should be in the chairs that are there. But again, if you didn't come prepared to give to that, you will have an opportunity anytime you want to designate to the children's home on the check. That's all it takes. We have a letter here from Smithville uh, Baptist Church. We've been helping them. Obviously, Smithville was uh, basically wiped out, and so we collected resources. We collected the gift cards, and so they wrote back to say. I'm writing on behalf of Smithville uh, Baptist Church to convey my sincere appreciation for your generous gift of $100 and gift cards. We are sharing the building of a sister church at alternate service times until we can build a temporary building 
which will be used while we rebuild our church on its original site. In the meantime, God is good and has provided for our needs. Our church continues to serve and minister to those who are in need and hopefully continues to reach the lost and hurting. Again, please accept our gratitude for the way in which you reached out to us and most of all for all of your prayers. We want to continue to pray for those in Joplin, Tuscaloosa, Smithville, and all of these areas that have been hit in Massachusetts. Uh, want to continue to pray for these and that God would use them for his uh, global purposes. We want to pray for our youth. Our youth are at camp this week. Kevin's there and uh, Byron sent an announcement. Kenneth's going to close out our service with announcements and Byron just sent one if you want to get in contact with them how you can do so. But we want to pray for them this week. Also this week in Phoenix, Arizona is the Southern Baptist Convention, the annual meeting. And uh, we want to pray for that. If you've not seen any of the reports, uh, baptisms this year among Southern Baptists are at their lowest point in 60 years. Uh, attendance is down, and uh, giving is down all the way across the board. And so that came out at the end of last week as they move into the Southern Baptist Convention. And what's uh, one of the things that's being uh, discussed is just continuing to have a heart for the nations, a heart for the nations. And it's been real interesting because there's a lot of tension between Calvinistic and non-Calvinistic that seems to be happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. But friends, if we focus on the substitutionary atonement of Christ, Calvinistic and non-Calvinistic fade to the side. And we keep the primary, the focus, and Christ is the hope of the world. And so it's interesting as some of these things all collide in Phoenix, we want to pray for them. We want to pray for Christ to be exalted, and we want to pray for people to be gripped with the urgency to go to the nations. We have the privilege this morning to hear from two folks. Mandy and Michael are both going to share with us from, from their trips. Mandy will ask you to come first. And then after all these things, we're going to pray for these uh, together corporately. So Mandy, come share with us about your trip to China. And then Michael will share with us about his trip to Uganda. I had the privilege on May 14th to go to China, and uh, many of you know Wynn, who um, became a Christian here as a visiting scholar at LSU and was baptized at Cross Point. We, uh, we were in the process of praying that the day that she became a Christian, she said, please come to China. Please tell my people about Jesus, and who can say no to that, right? And so we began praying about how the Lord might lead us to China, and about the same time, the International Mission Board came up with a program they want. They want universities to adopt university cities in China. There's a big movement uh, to kind of concentrating universities, and sometimes right outside the cities, they will put 20, 30 universities and make it literally its own university city. And so as we begin praying in the connection with Wynn, uh, we, we ask, can we adopt her home city? And that's Chengdu. And it's actually, when I look at the map, it's central China. They count it um, southwestern China because it's the last big city before the west. And it's just it was really neat going there and visiting and seeing what what an incredible place it is for world influence because really being that last big city further west is all the Tibetan influence. And our mission board personnel have had to pull back. They cannot not, no longer be there because of political unrest and because of um, really the reason that the country does not want foreigners in that section of the country at all. So they have pulled back um, to Chengdu, this city, and it's an incredible place for influence of the gospel. They have... Um, there's a minority university there, and there are 56 people groups, uh, Chinese people groups, and in that minority university, all of them are represented in that, that school right in Chengdu. And there are several other universities there, um, including one that we partnered with. Uh, I was a student. I, was, I told him, I said, I can be a teacher or a student, whatever you need. And so I taught English, and I was also a language and culture student. 
at the Chengdu University of Information Technology. Um, I'm glad that I did Chinese language and culture because as hard as Chinese was for me, technology is also not my thing. So uh, we studied there. I went um, about a week ahead. And I went to a campus minister training in Shanghai, and I knew as I continually send students to China, I knew I need some training on the field because we hear so many things, and and we're praying for the people there, but we we know that now that Christianity is legal, but what does that mean? We know that the Christians are persecuted. We know that they can lose jobs. They they really have a lot of trouble. Um, As they're known that they're Christians, churches are marked, tabbed. They have to be registered with the government. If they choose to meet in their homes, it's house churches. Um, They which is what many, many uh, Protestant Christians decide to do because they want freedom to be able to share and to to really live out their faith without being followed and watched. And so it was an an interesting thing for me, and I was so grateful to receive the training. And and one of the things that as we meet with a room of campus ministers and and we have a Bible study, not from a Bible but from a notepad where scriptures are written down, and when it comes time for PowerPoint slides, uh, the blinds are closed. And and I'm pretty certain they check the room for bugs because we were told that our hotel rooms would be bugged, our university dorm room would be bugged. And it was, for me, just a challenge to say, I know that as a Christian here, and as a foreigner Christian particularly, I'm, I'm on the radar. And uh, what does this mean to be bold for the gospel, but be wise and discerning? And uh, as much as I had, you know, I, I don't really want to go to prison, I was more fearful for connecting missionaries and people and platforms. And um, I was definitely afraid for most of the time to open up my email because it's like blown up Baptist (laughs) Christian emails left and right. And so I was very, very cautious about when and where and how I did that and and, and, and the the email contact that I had while I was gone. And it was just such a reminder of absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit. In that meeting, they said, uh, share early, share often. Um, And they said, share the gospel. These people have to have the hope. We don't want to be, we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to get somebody kicked out. But they have to hear the gospel. And so for me, I was extremely humbled and going, you know, at any moment you could be talking to a party member. At any moment you could be talking to someone who who is very, very much against the cause of Christ. But there were moments when the, the door just swung wide open and the Holy Spirit said, go, talk share, proceed. And it was just very humbling for me and just a realization that we always need to be that aware of our dependence on the Holy Spirit. We always need to say, God, you, you show me when to talk and when to hold back. And, and so as we went into Chengdu, uh, I was there about a week with the other campus ministers and we went and we taught English in schools and we, we got to split up in conversation groups and talk about life and values and significant experiences and any chance we could get to ask them something and hope that they would ask us back, you know, what is the most significant in your experience of your life? And they would ask me back, and of course, well, my relationship with God. And then I would start with creator God, because they have been told all their lives there is no God. Um, there's, there's no God. So you can't start with Christ. You can't start with the cross. You have to start with creator God. And um, there were times when I would share, and it would be crickets. Uh, and then there were times when people would be captivated. And so you just know that some are going to respond and some are not, and, and hope to have those conversations. Uh, about a week later, a student from LSU Alexandria came and joined me, and all of Louisiana BCMs are going to continually send students to this city, to Wynn's home city. And uh, we had to be really careful at LSU because we have so many non-Christian um, Chinese students that we, we just couldn't advertise publicly. We just kind of had to pray and tell our leadership and say, 
whoever's supposed to go on this trip will go. And for this year, it was myself and, and Nikki, the student from LSU Alexandria. And But we have open doors. We have this partnership with the university, and we're going to send exchange students for years to come. Uh, we were the first foreigners on that campus. So we were celebrities um, every night as I climbed into my bunk bed. Um, yeah, I'm a little old for that, but for the cause of Christ. Um, there would be 20 people who would come and want to take pictures. And, and I had to do that before 1130 when the electricity went out. Um, electricity goes out all night because they're very much into conserving um, electricity and all of these things. And so there were a few times I knew my roommates might be someone that I couldn't share with because I thought, okay, the room is bugged. We had uh, living assistants who walked us to class, sat with us in the cafeteria. And so we were very aware that we were being 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 kept tabs on. And I think Jake has a few pictures. I'm just going to show you. I have about five or six um, this kind of gives you an image of the city. There were apartment buildings as far as the eye could see, a small city of 10 to 13 million, um, and you're just amazed at the population. China itself, 23% of the world's population. Asia, over 60% of the world's population. If we could reach China, a quarter of the world um, would hear the gospel. And uh, if you just want to kind of scroll through just the images, that's from the missionary's apartment, just building after building and people after people. We think of Tiger Stadium, and it's it's a dot compared to this. Um, and if you kind of look through, that's the minority university. Uh, and if you'll kind of go to the next picture, I think there's a group um, of some of the students. Uh, the one on the right, the, the missionaries have just discovered is a Christian, and they're trying to figure out, um, you know, how deep her faith is and if she has the right knowledge, the rest or not. Uh, but they gave us campus tours, and we talked and shared with them. Uh, I think there's one or two more pictures. If you, That's my roommates, and I kind of knew. I couldn't share with them. I thought, these are going to be the people I can't share with. Um, I came quickly to realize the living assistants who were taking us to every place we had to go on campus. I knew I couldn't share with them, but God just opened a door. The missionary said, just, you know, if you sense that you can go, go. Don't be afraid. She said, we cannot live in fear. We surrendered our lives to Christ a long time ago, and you have to share the gospel. And I, I just had this sense that my roommates were very unassuming. They, they were not suspicious. We had, God gave us an incredible connection. If you see, we look like we've been friends for years, and that was after about a week. We just had the best time, and um, there in the dorm room, Lillian on the right, I was able to share the whole gospel with her, and, um, and she thanked me for telling my story, as many of them did, and, and I, I always hoped they would know. It's not just a story, <laughs> but um, another night, we got to sing in their dorm room. They said, they said, we want to sing for you. So they sang, and they said, will you sing a song for us? So here we are looking up Christian lyrics on the computer. It was not real sly because it's like, our God, um, our God reigns. Um, you know, we ended up singing God of the City. And at one point, Lillian started singing with us. And so it was just an incredible moment of the Lord's power that I never thought in that dorm room that we would be boldly proclaiming, you're the God of this city. And she would start singing that. And uh, the night before I left, she wrote me a note and, I, and said, I believe the God allowed us to meet. And, and, and so Nikki is still there. She'll return tomorrow. And she was going to follow up. I sent her an email and said, hey, Lillian said this. I think she's really open, and there were a few other people that were very, very open, but it just really helped me to know best how to pray for the people of China, and uh, we were told before we went, uh, don't even try to go into a house church. Your presence there would, would endanger them far too much. We were able to meet at a house church with only missionaries. With, you know, they understood. It was funny, us being called foreigners. Um, everywhere we were, foreigners, foreigners. They knew a bunch of foreigners might get together, and so we met in the missionary's apartment, but all of our cell phones were taken up and put in a back room because they know that 
Uh, perhaps the cell phones can pick up signals and send back things, and they know that the government's been monitoring that way. And so I'm sitting in this apartment and thinking about Crosspoint. It's about 13 hours behind, and how when I sit in this room, I never worry, can I sing too loud? Am I going to cause trouble? Are we going to raise too much attention? And I kind of, we sang, and it was a beautiful service, and it was wonderful talking about the word of the Lord, but to be mindful of how loud can I be? Can I, can I sing? How much attention can we raise to ourselves? Um, really put in perspective the prayers I've been saying for years about those people who cannot meet freely and what that really means, what life is really like. I'm going to pray differently for them now, knowing that there really it is a challenge. And really, um, when they go to meet, it's a very precious thing, but it's a risk and a danger, and, and it's, it's not without cost. And so I encourage you to continue to pray uh, for the people of China. I think there may be one more picture, um, or maybe two. Is there one last guy? We were at the um, Sichuan University, and this guy was pacing back and forth reciting prayers, um, but not to our God. And uh, I just wanted to cap the, capture that picture to pray for him to remember him and to remember that city. Uh, and I beg you to continue to remember the people of China. Be open if the Lord would send you or to wherever he might send you. There are so many places uh, where the gospel has not yet gone and people have not heard. And so I thank you guys for praying for me. I really appreciate that. We desperately relied on the prayer, and, and we really appreciate all that you did. Thanks. Mandy, when is your last Sunday with us? Next Sunday. Next Sunday. Next Sunday is Mandy's last Sunday with us. She's transitioning to another foreign country, Tennessee. And... Uh, <laughs> And so I was, I was at Ridgecrest, and I met a summer staffer, and he said, uh, I, he said he went to UT, and I asked him about the BSU, and he said he met Mrs. Mandy, Miss Mandy, and he said, she's a beautiful person. So I said, you may have a stalker when you arrive. <laughs> Thank you, Mandy. Thanks for sharing, and we're going to pray for this in just a moment. Thank you. Come share with us about Uganda, brother. After looking at the video and listening to Mandy, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to think what others go through as followers of Jesus Christ. And I uh, had an incredible time in Uganda, got to meet Rose, got to spend time with her. This is the little girl that we have kind yeah. of adopted as a church in uh, Landon under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I think it was Christmas Eve, and our service said we're just going to take a collection for her to help her with a surgery that uh, she so desperately needed. And uh, (laughs) the little girl just beams Christ. She's six years old, and she's got God just written all over her. It was an incredible time to be able to meet her and to spend time with her grandmother. Uh, Most of our time was out at Kayango. Uh, it's a, uh, a village out in the bush about 15 miles from Bugitti. Uh, I did get to spend time with Pastor George and some of the people from Bugitti Church. But most of our time, there were, there were seven of us from five different countries that just sat down and shared life together as to who we were, what God has done in our lives, where we are right now, and where we feel that God is is desiring for us to be uh, in the future, not only as individuals, but together. And uh, it, was, it was very eye-opening that, uh, that my little Western thought world is, is very, very skewed as to how God acts and what he desires to do uh, in the life of people in China, in the lives of people in Monroe, 
in the lives of people at Cross Point and also in, in Uganda, Zambia, Kenya, Ghana, all over, God is at work in an incredible way. Uh, before I left, I asked you to pray for protection. Uh, Kampala, Uganda, a city of about three million people, is dead on the edge of revolt, uh, desiring to follow after Egypt, desiring to follow after Libya. Uh, it claims to be a, a democratic country, but I mean just one inch under the surface you can see a rebellion that's brewing there in that city. Everywhere we went there were military. I've never seen so many army personnel, so many armed guards, so many people. They have, uh, instead of green beret, they have red beret. And there were so many red hats all over that city just trying to keep those people in check. There were protests that were in Kampala every day that we were in the country. People being arrested, people being jailed. There were 40 people who were killed the week before we were there. And so Uganda, on the surface, looks very tame. But the tribal differences, the political differences, the financial struggles that, uh, that they're facing uh, is very, very difficult for those people. Uh, on Sunday, when we went to the Kayango Baptist Church, where Pastor Joshua is the pastor, um, one of the things that we wanted to do was have a fellowship meal with the entire congregation. And, and we quickly learned that not just for church people, but if you say food, everybody's going to show up. And right now they're in a drought. They're struggling to be able to eat. And so we had arranged beforehand uh, to have a meal. And I didn't understand at first that Joshua said that the guest us, the outsiders, that we would demonstrate servant's heart by feeding the people. And so they brought out these huge pots of food and uh, asked us to serve. The first child in line was Rose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what that did to me. We fed 300, 350 people for that lunch meal. After it was over, in discussions with people in the church, we found that some of those folks had not eaten for four to five days. <laughs> Unbelievable what people in this planet are going through. Persecution, like we just heard from Mandy, the struggles that they face just to have a meal just to have a meal. The well that this church drilled in Kayango, we could put five more in that village and it still wouldn't be enough for them to have pure, clean drinking water. Think about that when you hit the refrigerator after a while and get your water. God has blessed us way beyond measure. Way, way beyond measure. If it's with family, with neighbors, with work associates, with people wherever God takes us and whoever he puts us in contact with, we've got to be a living light for him. Uh, 
that's a challenge that God has brought again into my heart and uh, something that we must never forget as the body of Christ at Crosspoint. Thank you, Michael. Friends, let's enter into a time that we pray for these things together, and after this we'll transition to our offering. And uh, as always, our baskets are here from Rwanda. What a privilege to be reminded of China. What a privilege to be reminded of Uganda. What a privilege to be a part of a faith community that doesn't just talk about going, but that goes. And so what a privilege to be able to be reminded of God's global purposes. Um, As you give, some of what we give obviously goes to help directly the International Mission Board. Others goes to here to expand the gospel here. And so I'll lead us in a time of prayer, and then after that we'll transition to our offering. Father, we thank you for what we've seen in the children's home video. Father, we are so grateful for that ministry. And Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to use it and provide for it. God, we're grateful for the mobile pregnancy unit that they have that now all along Louisiana, they're driving around and they're saving girls who are contemplating abortion. Father, they, you were using that mobile pregnancy unit to help save these babies and to help reconcile these mothers to you. Father, I pray that you would continue to provide and use this ministry. Father, we are grateful for the leadership of Dr. Hancock. Give him wisdom. Father, we are grateful for our youth at camp. We pray for our youth and uh, our folks from Grace and Pollock and the other churches that have combined together. We're grateful for their safe arrival. We pray for Byron and for Kevin and our other leaders that are there, that you would give them wisdom and that you would provide everything they need. Father, we pray for protection. But most importantly, God, we ask that you would change them, that you would transform them, that you would anoint the preaching of your word, and you would give uh, fertile soil to be receptive. And, Father, that you would change these students, grip their hearts with the gospel, and then with gospel urgency. Father, thank you for VBS that's coming up in a few weeks. And toward the end of our service, we'll see a video about it. God, would you use VBS in our neighborhoods? Would you use it in the lives of these children? Thank you for Linda and her leadership, and thank you for all these that have volunteered. Father, I pray that you would uh, use it beyond what we know, even here today, to reach parents, to reach grandparents. Father, I pray for the gospel to expand. Father, thank you for Boys Camp that's coming up this week. Father, we pray for safety. Thanks for Chris and Kenneth who are going to go and serve as chaperones. And Father, I pray for wisdom for them. I pray you would use them in the lives of the boys that we're sending. Father, use your word and anoint the preaching there. Change these students that we send, Father. God, we are so grateful for what Mandy has shared about China. We are grateful for what you've done in Wynn's heart. We continue to pray for her. We continue to pray for the request that Mandy has put before us, this one who is reciting prayers. We do not know his name. You do. And, Father, we ask that you would open his heart for the gospel. Father, we ask that he would come to know Christ Jesus and be reconciled to you. Father, we pray for the missionaries that are working there. We pray you give them wisdom, but also boldness. And thank you for the testimony that we've heard. We've surrendered to you, and if it costs our life, uh, to die is gain. And so, Father, I pray that you would empower all of our missionaries today that are serving in what we would call closed countries. Father, give them opportunities for the gospel. Give them boldness and use them. Expand your word into some of the most difficult places to reach. Father, we are aware today that 
country after country, including our own, we'll have people today who perish and forever separated from you, many of whom have never even heard of Jesus. Father, use us. We pray for Uganda, and I remember a student saying that you never know who will be in charge when you wake up. Father, it's a much different place. And so, Father, I pray for your peace. We pray that you would continue to bless the Uganda Baptist Seminary. We pray you would continue to bless Pastor George. And, Father, we are grateful for Rose and what you've, how you've used us. We're grateful for the water well. And, God, we pray for more. Help us to order our lives for the sake of the gospel. Father, I pray that uh, you would use the water in order to spur on conversations about the living water, Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that uh, you would continue to give us opportunities to partner with these brothers and sisters, that we would not forget them and they would not forget us. And, Father, as a result of it, that we would reap a harvest together in righteousness. And, Father, I pray that you would help us to focus on what really matters in life. I pray as we have an opportunity to give now, that we would be cheerful and sacrificial givers. Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to, again, order our lives, uh, to take our desires and put those behind the cross. Father, that our greatest desire would be to store treasure in heaven. Our greatest desire would to see the gospel expand to places that have yet to hear it. So, Father, we pray now that you would uh, take these gifts and use them for the good of others and for your glory. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you so much. I've shared with you before, but I'll never forget the time I was in chapel in New Orleans Seminary and Vody Balkum, who pastors in Texas, uh, began his sermon by asking, are you one of us or one of them? And he was preaching on the heart of ministry and what we were to be as preachers and who we were to be as preachers. And he used the passage from Timothy saying, are you one of those who are an authentic pastor? Are you one of those who work your way into weak-willed women, as it says there in, in Timothy? And uh, in the end, you can't hide it from God. If you're an authentic pastor, in the end, it's all going to come out. So you may be able to fool other people, but in the end, everything is going to be revealed. And so I, I never forgot that. Uh, I have a strong conviction that not everyone who's at seminary is called to ministry. I think that some people who are there, though you have to fill out the paperwork, and that's always an interesting moment when you hear people commenting in class and you begin to wonder, did you fill out the same junk I did? Did you fill out the same paperwork? Did a church endorse you? And sometimes you wonder if a church endorsed them just to send them on down the road, you know. But uh, some are there because they want to go deeper, and seminary is the only option for that. And that's because the church has failed to provide depth and substance. And so they're at seminary because they want to go deeper, and the only place for that is seminary. Some may even be there because they see ministry as a Sunday, Wednesday job. That's what most of you think, right? It's just a Sunday, Wednesday job. I'll be sure, and next time you want to counsel on Tuesday, I'll be sure and say, come back Wednesday. But uh, there are some folks. That used to be the joke in my home church, that our pastor only worked on Sunday and Wednesdays and played golf every other day. Well, he did play golf every other day, but it's not indicative of every minister, you know? So... And then, you know, there are some who are at seminary because they're under compulsion of the Lord and they couldn't go anywhere else but in obedience to go and be trained. Now, I want to be cautious. Just because you have a seminary degree does not mean you're a gospel-centered pastor. A sheet on a wall doesn't mean you love Jesus. Being able to parse every Greek verb does not mean you lead your home for the cause of Christ. So we are in a day, and it's not new, there have always been faithful pastors and there have always been unfaithful pastors. There have been true pastors and false pastors. Uh, you know, for me, I, I can't deal with Leroy Thompson if I see him on TV. Have you seen Leroy Thompson on TV? Uh, he is what I call a prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel means that God is a means to money and stuff. Friends, the gospel is that we get God. Not that we get stuff and God is a means to something else and Jesus isn't even a means to heaven Jesus is the only means to the point of heaven is not heaven the point is that we get God that's what being reconciled is and so these prosperity gospels that see Jesus as a means to other stuff they miss the gospel it's a false gospel and I am with Paul to say don't listen to them call them out and you see them Benny Hinn is another and the list could go on you I just bring these up as examples because they're in our day. Paul, as he wrote the letter to the church at Colossae, was dealing with false teachers. He was dealing with people that were saying, you should worship angels and Jesus. You should harm your body, and that will earn you righteousness. And so what Paul writes in our passage today in chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, what he's laying out is, you want to know how I came about my ministry? And you want to know what a, a real uh, pastor should be about? Then I want to show you this. And I'm writing this to you, church at Colossae, so that you can grasp and know. And even as I do this, I'm, I'm keenly aware that should the Lord give us the next 
uh, five weeks, I will preach four of them, and then our time will be done, friends. And I'm keenly aware that uh, there's a pastor search team meeting this afternoon moving forward, and I love the Lord's timing because here in this text, he tells us, who should we look for? What kind of pastor should we be looking for? And so some of our folks are at youth camp. There are other places. Your job today is to take good notes so that you can convince them from the text. When they begin to say, hey, we ought to get this kind of guy, you say, no, we want this guy. We want this guy. I want you to stand with me. We're going to begin reading in chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. What you're going to see here is that a gospel-centered pastor is God's man called to God's ministry to proclaim God's message for the maturity of God's people through God's means. Beginning in verse 24, this is what Paul writes. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Father, in the very few moments we have here, would you speak clear through your text? Would you give us wisdom and insight? Thank you that you have preserved this text that we may encounter it. Thank you that we see what real pastoral ministry is to be about so that we won't be fooled and we won't be swayed. Father, I pray now for your spirit to teach us from your own word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we quickly jump into this text, uh, I put the summary there at the top for you. A gospel-centered pastor is God's man called to God's ministry to proclaim God's message for the maturity of God's people through God's means. And let's begin with God's man. And I want to by going back to where we left off last week. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I want us to pause just a moment and meditate on the power of God to take people who are alienated from him, to, pay, to take people who are hostile in mind toward him, to, pay, to take people who are doing evil in front of them. And his gospel power is so incredible that he takes these that are on this side and makes them holy, blameless, and without reproach so that no charge can be brought against them. Friends, the only means for that is Jesus. The only means to take what is evil and transform it. And remember our word from last week, apokatalasso? Do you remember that? Let's say it together. Apokatalasso. Ready? It means to change completely, to change thoroughly. That's what the word reconciled means. So the only way we can go from evil to being changed completely, reconciled, is Jesus. And it says he has done this. This is the power of the gospel. And this is the only hope. This is why we proclaim Jesus. This is why we don't go to China with just good business skills. It's why we don't go to Uganda with just some self-help tips. Self-help will not transform you from being alienated, hostile, and evil. Jesus alone transforms us, friends. 
And this is the glorious gospel that all the wretched things we've done one day will not be given to our credit. They are given to Christ. And so if the devil were to bring up a charge, it's been laid on Christ and Christ's perfection is ours. This is the glorious gospel. And so we should be blown away even when we see that last little phrase of which I, Paul, became a minister. If there's anyone who's one of the greatest examples of this, it's Paul. You remember what Paul was like? Acts 26, in his testimony, he says this, I myself was convinced I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He says in 1 Timothy, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm foremost friends. As we think about who is a real pastor, who is a true pastor, it begins with him being God's man. He has to be reconciled to God. He must be converted. We don't want a minister proclaiming the gospel who's never experienced the gospel. And you'd be surprised how many unconverted pastors there are. So it begins not with what do you believe about John Calvin. It begins with what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Has he reconciled you? Has he saved you? Do you know this and is it authentic? God's man. It is only after we're reconciled to God that he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That's in 2 Corinthians 5. We must be reconciled to be ministers of reconciliation. And I won't uh, land on just the God's man. I did meet someone at camp this week, a lady who was preparing her sermon for this Sunday as well. And uh, I would just say, look, we didn't purchase the church, we didn't plan the church, and so we don't get to put the order of how he does. And elders are to be men And so, therefore, we submit to his authority. And I believe that you are not looking for God's woman to be your next pastor. I believe you are looking for God's man because of the way God has set up his church. If you have a problem with that, then your problem is not with me, friends. Your problem is with 1 Timothy and with God himself. So we are looking for God's man, one who knows Jesus, not just about Jesus. God's man, then, who is called to God's ministry. A couple things that we see here. He says in 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I want to show you some things from the text about this calling. You can be a man of God. It doesn't necessarily mean you're called to vocational ministry. There should be a call. If you look back in Acts chapter 26, this is what Paul will say beginning in verse 12 as he continues his testimony before Agrippa. In Acts 12, he says this, in this connection, I'm sorry, in Acts 26, beginning in verse 12, Acts 26, beginning verse 12, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you were persecuting. But rise, stand up, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Don't miss those images, friends, about the lost. They've got to turn from darkness to light and from Satan to God, and the only means for that is Jesus. So don't be fooled. We're not going to be kind and just nice and warm words friends darkness this is what jesus says about the lost under the power of satan this is what jesus says and so the only means for that is is jesus is jesus is the only hope and he is appointing paul to go to be his ambassador and as a part of that he's going to suffer but he is appointed in first timothy Paul says this in verse 1, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Friends, you are looking for a true minister who is appointed by God, not someone who has appointed himself. You want one who can articulate a true calling to ministry. When I was in ninth grade, I was at a camp called Centrifuge. It was at a place called Glorietta. And I was in the room, and I'll never forget that day God gripped my heart with the calling to be a minister. He didn't fill in all the details. He didn't tell me about Cross Point when I was in ninth grade. He didn't even tell me about preaching. Matter of fact, in ninth grade, I thought I was going to be called to medical missions. That's what I was feeling. I wanted to go and be a doctor and take that globally. Until I hit biology class in 10th grade, and we dissected a frog, and I wanted to throw up. And then I was like something's not right in the plans here, Lord. What's, what's derailed? And so then I thought I would be a business administrator for a church. I loved accounting. I loved business. So then I thought maybe I would be a business administrator. Then it was a youth minister. And then God began to give me opportunities to speak. But what I never doubted from ninth grade on, God had called me to full-time ministry for him. Friends, there is a calling. Paul says, I was appointed. I didn't appoint myself. I didn't wake up one day and was like, I'm, I'm going to go share with the Gentiles about Jesus. He's the Messiah. Paul would never do that on his own. And so no minister wakes up on his own and says, I think I'll be a preacher. Well, there must be a calling. But look at what this calling is to. It is a calling to stewardship. Paul says in the text, in our text, that he became a minister according to the stewardship. The word stewardship is a combination of house and manage. And it means manage the house. But one thing you never forget, it's not your house. You are managing the house on behalf of someone else, the owner of the house, the Lord of the house. And so he says, this is a stewardship. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, one I never forget. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Who does the flock belong to? God, they're his sheep. It's a stewardship. He is entrusting his sheep and his ministry to you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Why will we give an account as ministers? Because it's a stewardship. He's entrusting his church and his gospel to us, and one day you will give an account for that. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For I, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. And so in ministry, it is a call. But is it a call to stewardship? You are overseeing someone else's sheep. And you are overseeing someone else's message. And it's a stewardship. And as Jesus said in the parable of the talents, 
the owner's going to come back and say, what'd you do with it? What'd you do with it, right? It's a call to stewardship. Number two, it's a call to service. Look in our text. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, verse 24, for, what's the next word? Your sake, right? And in my flesh, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. It is a call to stewardship. It is also a call to service for your sake, for the sake of his body, the church, for you. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. It's not so that Paul would be served by the church, but that Paul would serve the church. This is a call to selflessness. If it is about anyone who's entering to the ministry and it is for selfish reasons, you can know that this is not a true and authentic minister. It is a selfless, it is called to serve for your sake, for the church, for you. A selfless minister goes along with this call to service. Uh, Another aspect of this call is it's a call to sufferings. Man, verse 24 should get us all. He says, now I rejoice, and then his next word, in my sufferings. Come on, is that you? You don't have to limit that to ministry today. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Doesn't Paul make you sick sometimes? You know, like, come on, Paul, just have a bad day. Just be like, now I barely, now, now I sometimes rejoice. This was like, now I rejoice in my sufferings. And look at what he says. It's the most difficult uh, verse in the whole book of Colossians. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This we want to be very careful, friends. The word afflictions, as it is, is never mentioned in atonement. So what you need to understand is Paul is not saying there's something we need to add to Christ's work on the, on the cross. Paul is the one who said all along there's nothing that needs to be added. We need to rest in it. So he's clearly not saying here, I'm filling up what's lacking in his work. What the idea is, in order to get that gospel, Jesus is no longer here present Paul is experiencing the sufferings of Christ as he ministers to the people of Christ with the gospel. And in order to take it, friends, to some of the most difficult places, we're going to be filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions as well. If we're willing to go, there is, a, there is a, a, an aspect of it. You look back in Philippians, and you'll see this same word of lacking. In Philippians 2, verse 30, it says this about Epaphroditus that, Paul had been ministered to him on the sake of the, of the church at Philippi. It says this in verse 30, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Nothing was lacking in their partnership. What was lacking was their physical presence to be there. Epaphroditus is the representative of that. And that's the idea that we see in here. As Paul says, look, Christ isn't here physically, but I am. And I'm filling up what's lacking in his afflictions to get the gospel to you. Where is Paul when he writes the book of, Coloss- of Colossians? He's in prison. He's suffering, friends. In Acts 14, he says this, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, uh, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they preached the gospel of that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You want to talk about a missionary who didn't get discouraged. He got followed from another town because he proclaimed the gospel. So he got stoned by them and the residents of this town, drug out, left to die. 
he gets up and walks back into the town and then goes on with the rest of the mission trip and then goes back through these places, encouraging them, filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ, that these might hear the gospel. And then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you've not read it, it's his list of how many times he was beaten, how many times he was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Dude got bit by a snake on the same day he was shipwrecked. That's a tough day for the sake of the gospel. But one of the greatest testimonies, Galatians six seventeen. Paul says, let no one calls me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Friends, if you're going in the ministry and you're looking at a minister, it is a call. It is a call to stewardship. It is a call to service. And it is a call to suffering. Ministry is a call to suffering. How many times did Paul weep over the loss? How many times did he weep over people that he knew that were shipwrecking their faith, doing stupid stuff, or leaving the gospel? It's a call to suffer. Last, it's a call to struggling. You see in the last verse of this text, 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word struggling is agonizomai, which we get our word agony. What word do we get from that? Agony. Good. So the idea is competing in an athletic event. And so for this I toil with agony, agonizing, or competing in an athletic event, that's one that he's emphasizing here, maximum effort. There's when, when I committed to being a minister and I took my uh, commitments before my ordination board, the very last one was I would not be slothful. There's no room in ministry for slothful people. If you want to be lazy, do anything else. Don't do ministry. For ministry is struggling. Ministry is agonizing. Ministry is maximum effort, not half effort. It is toil. And the word there, toil, means labor and means work to the point of exhaustion. And I think one of the greatest pictures is from Galatians 4 when Paul says, My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth. Ladies, you tell me, is childbirth? It's easy, right? Childbirth is not toiling. Childbirth is not agonizing. It's just a piece of cake, right? Every day, right? No. Uh, this is what he says. I'm in the anguish of childbirth for you. Ministry is agonizing. Ministry is hard work. So then that gets me to an interesting question. Who wants to sign up for this? Who wants to sign up? If there's someone who pastors because he signed up, friends, he's not going to make it. Because it's the calling that keeps you when you deal with grumpy people. It's the calling that keeps you when you deal with people who keep breaking your heart because they keep choosing sin. It's the calling that keeps you when you sin. It's the calling that keeps you here. Ministry cannot be one of many options for a pastor. We need ministers who this is their only option because they've been called by Christ. This is what we see. Ministry is, not, uh, ministry is given. It's not taken. It's an assignment, not an acquirement. And any man who's not willing to serve, suffer, struggle, and then give an account shouldn't go in the ministry. Let me give you some stats. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. This was off of the Nine Marks blog. of pastors constantly fight depression. 50% feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they have no other way of making a living. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 80% of spouses feel the pastor is overworked. And 80% of spouses feel left out and underappreciated by church members. 70% of ministers do not have someone they consider a close friend. 40% report serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. And the number one reason pastors leave the ministry is because church people are not willing to go the same direction and goal of the pastor. Pastors believe God wants them to go in one direction, but people are not willing to follow or change. When you talk about longevity, longevity, 50% of the ministers starting out 
will not last five years. So with guys I graduate with, I can tell you guys that are no longer in ministry, 50% of them won't still be in ministry five years later. One out of every 10 ministers will actually retire as a minister. Do you hear what it's saying? It means 90% of the guys who start out will end up selling insurance, will end up doing some other business, but they won't end up as pastors. 4,000 new churches begin each year, 7,000 churches close. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month in 2010. Over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, some of those without calls. So 1,700 plus 1,300, 3,000 pastors. That's a lot of pastors. So let me encourage you. If you can do anything else, don't do ministry. For it is only for those who are called and that in Christ's strength are willing to suffer and to struggle and to be selfless and to give an account for it one day. And so who are we looking for? We're looking for a man that's willing to be this. We're looking for one who's called by God. What is he called to do? To proclaim God's message. This is what he's told. He says, I was given a stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And at the end of verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So we have a God's man who's called by God to proclaim God's message. The task of the minister is not to create his own message, but to faithfully deliver the one he's given. The mailman, when they drive through our neighborhood, now if a truck or a car is blocking the mailbox, they don't get out and put it in your mailbox. Have you seen that lately? I don't know. The slogan used to be neither rain nor sleet or snow, but a, a truck in front of it, that'll stop them from getting it to your house. We watched it happen in our neighborhood, you know. I was like, what's up? Because it's my truck accidentally blocking somebody's box. But I hope our people, our neighbors didn't have bills due. The postman doesn't just write a bunch of letters and then put them in. The postman delivers the mail. Friends, ministers are postmen. I didn't write the letter. My job is to deliver the letter to you. So ministers are given their message. And the task is to make the word of God fully known, not the minister fully known. It is to make the word of God fully known. So what we don't want is a pastor who reads the text and then goes about his sermon. We want a pastor in which the text is the sermon. The text is the sermon. This is how the word of God is fully known. And if we're making the word of of God fully known, then what's going to happen is we're going to proclaim Christ because Christ is the centerpiece of the word. Whether we're in the Old Testament or we're in the New Testament, it is Christ who these things are pointing to or pointing backward or pointing to his return. And so we're going to proclaim Christ. And as we proclaim the word, people see Jesus. And as they see Jesus, they see God's glory. And as they see God's glory, they're transformed. That's the verse that Chris read to us as we opened our service. So the Old Testament promises made, New Testament promises kept. And look at what he says. The Gentiles have been exposed to the riches of the glory and the hope of glory. And both the riches of glory and the hope of glory is Christ Jesus. Those are both the same thing. The riches of glory and the hope of glory is Christ Jesus. And here's the thing that should blow us away. God chose 
to make known how great among the Gentiles. Every Sunday when you come in here, you should thank God that he chose to make known Jesus among the Gentiles because he wasn't obligated to do so. He's not bound to rescue us from sin. God chooses to rescue us from sin. And so therefore, I don't offer half worship when I sing these songs. Come thy fount a few moments ago. How can we not sing to the one who rescues us that God chose to make among us who were separated from the promises to Israel? God opened the door that we, the Gentiles, would know Jesus. The mystery, and anytime Paul says mystery, he says it's no longer a mystery. It's been revealed. The hope of glory, it's Jesus. So we proclaim Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Christ and it's foolishness to those that are perishing, but I resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Why? Because there's no other hope. Jesus' testimonies, he walks on the road to Emmaus and Luke, he takes the law, beginning with Moses and the prophets, and he opens them up and tells them the things about himself. It's all about Jesus. And people will say, well, Jesus isn't under every rock and tree in the Old Testament. No, friends, but there's a whole lot of rocks and trees that point to Jesus. It is about Jesus. He is the centerpiece. And so this helps us know, how can I tell if I have a gospel-centered pastor? Here's an easy question. Does he preach Christ or himself? Does he preach Christ or himself? Graham's Goldsworthy says, at the end of a service, we should not say, what a great sermon, but what a great savior, because we've been pointed to Christ. We don't go past the gospel, friends, as I've tried to tell you. We go deeper into the gospel. And I'm not talking about a shrunken gospel that's just an evangelistic presentation. I'm talking about a full and robust understanding that apart from Christ, I can't do sanctification. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And... That Christ on the cross, when he says it's finished, means I don't have to earn righteousness this week. I am credited righteousness. I am imputed righteousness because of Christ Jesus. Friends, we have so many people trying to earn God's favor. God reconciled us. Go back in those verses we studied last week. Through Jesus, not through our holiness. So do our people get the gospel? My conviction over the past few years has been, no, they don't. You can ask some of our folks here to articulate the gospel, and some of them will struggle still to be able to articulate really what is the gospel. If Christians shouldn't concentrate so much on the gospel, then let me ask you a question. Why do so many of Paul's letters center on the gospel, and they're written to Christians? Why did he write to the church at Galatia? Because they had the gospel all jacked up. And he's like, you need to know the gospel. Why did he write the church at Corinth? Because they were getting into all kinds of things. And he says, it's Christ and the gospel. So much here in Colossians, it's about the gospel. And uh, my friend Tony Marita said once, he said, the issue is how many times do you need to hear I love you? You only hear it once from your wife, and that's good. You go on the rest of your days. He said, as we declare the gospel week after week after week, we are reminded of God's great love for us. But I added to that, we're also reminded of God's accomplished work. It's finished. And so we rest into it. He says there are two aspects of this in 28. Him we proclaim, and here's how we do it. We warn everyone and we teach everyone. The warning everyone is corrective. It has a negative concept. And it deals with counsel and view of sin and coming punishment. 
Acts 20, verse 31, this is what Paul writes, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not see Snyder Day to admonish everyone with tears. And so there is some corrective. As, fam- as parents, we know sometimes when our children do some things, we correct them. Other times is the formative. We're laying down the foundation for them to know what's right. So the warning is the corrective and the teaching is the formative. It is the imparting of truth. Look on chapter 2, verse 7 in Colossians. Paul says this, beginning in verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. You know how people become rooted, built up, and established in the faith? They are taught that. Paul's prayer in Colossians 1, verse 9, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then Paul's challenge in Colossians 3, 16, to the Colossians themselves, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonish one another with all wisdom. And so don't you, don't you get it? The reason the pastor is supposed to teach and proclaim Christ in all the wisdom is because the people are then supposed to teach their friends Christ in all wisdom. We are not just to receive these things. Friends, we're to reproduce these things. The point is not that we just know what Colossians 1, 24 through 29 are and go about our business to Shoney's for lunch. It's that we may be able to teach someone else What's in Colossians 1, 24 through 29? That the word of Christ would dwell in us as you teach and admonish. So the same things that is expected of the pastor is expected of you, being able to teach and admonish. How do you do that? When the word of Christ dwells in you richly. This is why we need pastors that make the word of God fully known. If we do have pastors who do that, then the people of God will be aiming towards full maturity. Number four, for the maturity of God's people, this is our aim. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, who's he doing it to? Everyone, everyone, everyone. So who does that mean we need to leave out? No one. So as we see people and they're at different levels of discipleship or they begin to slack or they don't, they stop coming, these things. Friends, we, we can't excuse that. We are to present everyone mature so we have responsibilities for everyone and this is the aim that's the aim in ephesians 4 i've told you that passage over and over and over we're aiming at the fullness of christ the full measure of christ and romans 15 this is what paul says i myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another what a thing for a pastor to be able to say i want you to look in colossians itself chapter 4 verse 12 at epaphras's prayer for the Colossians. Colossians 4 verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You want to know what you should pray for your friends at Cross Point? That. That's the aim. Why do we proclaim Christ? So that people will grow into Christ and become mature. And that's what... Epaphras was struggling in his prayers, saying, God, mature them. Give them all wisdom. Let them be able to stand. When you're mature in Christ, you're not going to fall for all of the other things. You'll recognize false teaching, and you won't be swayed. So, friends, we, we don't want to stay at the baby level. We're called to go to Christ. And so we want to mature in Christ. We should be growing. And one of the things that should the Lord be gracious is to be able to have a ministry in which he produces fruit through his word. The thing that I think a lot of pastors don't do, they don't trust God to just use his word in the lives of his people. 
Well, there's something I need to add to it. No, friend. Trust God to build his church with his word. Give him the word for the maturity of God's people. Let me put us then to the closing point. The only way any minister can do this is through God's means. Remember, all God expects from us, he provides for us in Christ Jesus. In verse 29, it says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you remember what Paul said in Philippians? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That through Christ is such an important phrase. He doesn't say I can do all things by himself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's live with a bunch, live with a little in the context there. And here he says, look, I'm toiling. I'm laboring to the point of exhaustion and I'm agonizing. But you know what, how I'm doing that? With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that's part of the prayer that he prayed back in 111. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Without it, we, will, we won't make it. Without God's strength, we won't make it. Charles Spurgeon uh, worked 18-hour days, and he was once asked, how is it that you do the work of two men? And he said, friend, you've forgotten there are two of us. Uh, two of us. So you want one who works in God's means. And the reason of all that is God alone gets the glory for the ministry. You see, friends, God reconciled Paul. Paul didn't reconcile himself to God. God reconciled Paul. God gave Paul the ministry. God gave Paul the message. God gave Paul the motivation, maturity. And God gave Paul the means. So who gets the glory for that, friends? God. Ligon Duncan, pastor of First Pres in Jackson, said the difficult thing about ministry is all the bad stuff you get full credit for, all the good stuff God gets full credit for. And he says, as ministers, we long for our report card. And he said, the problem is you don't get it till the end. He says, you get some progress reports here and there, but you really don't get the final report card until the end. What we want are pastors who long after they're gone, and we may not remember their name, we still remember the name of Christ. For it was the aroma of Christ they left us with, that they pointed us to. So I've put a little prayer there on your sheet, and I'd like us to... Close out this time, not with an altar call type response, but in prayer. Stephanie's going to just undergird us. I want us to close out this time in prayer. And then, friends, we'll have some closing announcements. Mr. Al's got an important announcement. And we'll have a closing song.